Section 33 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 17, The Fall of Night. From that day of 1245, when his messengers had brought to him at Turin the news of his deposition, a deep gloom had gradually settled upon Frederick's soul. He realized then that the struggle in which the greater part of his life had been wasted was to continue to the end. He looked around his dominions, which had he been spared the immitigable hatred of the papacy, had he been able to employ his gifts with which nature had so richly endowed him, would have presented a smiling aspect of peace, prosperity, and intellectual advancement. Instead, he saw Germany and Italy given over to violence and discord, and his kingdom deprived of his fostering care and burdened by a heavy load of taxation, faltering on that road of progress along which in his happier days he had led it with so sure a hand. We can see him as he toils through the last years of his life, a man with set joyless face, laboring under the most venomous curses of the church, a man by some greatly hated, by some greatly loved, and by all greatly feared. He is conscious of the heavy destiny he must fulfill. He has set his hand to the plow and will not turn back. He has resolved to end his days in an almost hopeless struggle rather than purchase an ignominious peace. He is subject sometimes when he has brooded overlong upon his wrongs to passionate storms of wrath, in which it fares ill with those of his enemies who have fallen into his hands. If they have offended grievously against him, they may call upon God for a speedy death, for all his wisdom and enlightenment had not triumphed over the cruelty of his age, nor purged his blood of that taint which is part of the heritage of the Hohenstaufen race. The beginning of the year 1250 found him plunged in a profound melancholy. The shame of that flight before Parma, when his soldiers had swept him with them in their panic, had rankled sorely in his mind. The death of Thaddeus of Suessa in the same disaster had been an irreparable loss. The treachery of Peter de Vinia, in whom for more than twenty years he had placed implicit trust and affection, had overwhelmed him with bitterness. With that tragedy, the iron had entered into his soul. It needed only the imprisonment of Enzo, the being who held the largest place in his heart, to leave him broken and weary of the burden of life. He was smitten toward the end of 1249 with a slow but mortal disease. It seemed but a mockery of fate that at the twelfth hour his fortunes should begin to improve, while he himself was slowly losing his hold on the world. In the November of 1250, his illness overcame him while on the road to Lucera. He was compelled to halt at Fiorentino and took to his bed. His son Manfred, the fruit of his love for Bianca Lancia, was by his side, and Berard, the old Archbishop of Palermo, who had accompanied the boy of Sicily northwards in 1212, and had adhered to him with unswerving loyalty despite all the anathemas of the Pope. On the 10th of December he made his will, with deep sighs, and declaring he had rather never have been born, 
or assumed the government of the empire, in the recovery and support of whose rights he had been involved in so many and such bitter sorrows. The empire and the kingdom were left to Conrad and his heirs. Failing such heirs, he was to be succeeded first by Henry and then by Manfred. The latter was to be the regent of the kingdom during Conrad's absence in Germany, and was to receive certain territories as his domain. A hundred thousand ounces of gold were to be devoted to the succor of the Holy Land for the benefit of the emperor's soul. All prisoners were to be set free except traitors. All who had been faithful to their lord were to be rewarded. The Holy Roman Church was to be restored to all her rights, saving only the honor of the empire and his heirs, and provided that the church restored the rights of the empire in turn. The end came soon afterwards. On December the 13th, 1250, Frederick, the greatest of earthly princes, the wonder of the world, and the regulator of its proceedings, departed this life. By his own wish, or in kindly response to the entreaties of his old friend, he had received absolution from the Archbishop of Palermo before his death. His body, arrayed in the imperial robes and covered with a pall of crimson silk, guarded by an escort of Saracens and six troops of knights, was borne through wailing villages and towns to the port of Taranto. From there it was brought to Messina and thence to Palermo, where it was laid near to the graves of his imperial father, his mother, and his first wife the traveller at Palermo may still see the granite and porphyry tomb of him who was the wonder of the world. Herod is dead, cried the vicar of Christ. Now let earth and heaven break forth into joy at this great deliverance. Down to hell he went, wrote the papal chronicler, taking with him naught but a burden of sin. The friar Salembene rushed to the fourteenth chapter of Isaiah. Here was the fall of Lucifer, cast down from heaven. He who had sought to exalt his throne above the stars of God, he that had made the earth to tremble and the kingdoms to shake, was brought down to hell, and hell from beneath was moved to meet him. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise and possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. The hatred that had pursued Frederick during his life could not be assuaged by his death. It fastened upon his house and only relaxed its hold when the last of the accursed Hohenstaufen brood had perished on the scaffold. Manfred had to hasten back from the burial of his father to defend the kingdom over which he was regent during Conrad's absence. He had already been accused of having poisoned the emperor by his ecclesiastical enemies. In 1251, Conrad, who had narrowly escaped assassination at the hands of the papal party, abandoned his hold on Germany and assumed the government and defense of the kingdom. The young Henry was the first of Frederick's descendants to die. The pope must needs charge Conrad with poisoning his brother. Conrad sickened and died in 1254. His death was laid at Manfred's door by the papal chroniclers. There remained of Frederick's male descendants only Manfred and Conradine, the infant son of Conrad. 
For twelve years Manfred resisted all the efforts of the popes to overthrow him. Poet, scholar, soldier, and consummate diplomatist, he was the worthy son of a great sire. He survived Innocent, who died, men said, in an agony of terror and remorse. Manfred extended his power as far as Tuscany under Innocent's successor, Alexander IV. Pope Urban IV, unable to subdue him, sought for a powerful ally. The crown of the kingdom had already been sold by Innocent to Edmund, the son of Henry III of England. That prince showed no desire to embark upon a perilous struggle for its acquisition, and accordingly it was sold again to Charles of Anjou, the brother of King Louis of France. Manfred resisted Charles for some time, but was defeated and slain at Benevento in 1266. His widow and children were thrown into prison by the conqueror and died in captivity. The Sicilians, ground into dust by their new master, called upon Conradin, a boy of fifteen years, to deliver them. He invaded the kingdom with four thousand Germans, was joined by the oppressed populace, and gained several victories over the French usurper, but in 1268 he was defeated and captured and beheaded in the public square of Naples. So ended the race of the Hohenstaufens. Yet so largely had the greatest of that race loomed in the imagination of mankind that several decades passed away before the subjects of Frederick would be convinced that he himself had disappeared forever from the earth. In 1259 an impostor arose in Sicily who proclaimed himself to be Frederick. He declared that he had been allowed to return to the world after having expiated his sin for nine years. He gathered many nobles of Sicily and Apulia round him, but was overpowered and slain by Manfred. Twenty-six years later, another false Frederick appeared in Germany and attracted so much attention that many of the Lombard nobles and states sent their envoys to inquire into the truth of his identity. He was seized by Rudolf of Habsburg, who, after an interregnum of twenty years, had secured the kingship of Germany and was burned at the stake. Even in 1290, when Frederick would have been a man of ninety-six years of age, there were barons in Germany ready to wager that their old Hohenstaufen Kaiser was still alive, that he would return some day at the head of a mighty force and restore the departed glories of the Holy Roman Empire. End of section 33